a lot can happen over four centuries. Technologies have skyrocketed, new nations created, and yet one book has changed very little in as much time. And I'm talking about the King James Bible. Back in 2011, we celebrated the 400th anniversary of its publication. And I'd like to look back at that now on this episode of the Great Stories Podcast. I'm Charles Morris. In a moment, you'll hear from Dr. Donald Brake, who wrote a book on the visual history of the King James Version. He helps us see how the KJV revolutionized the English-speaking world by exploring its mysterious beginnings. The men who translated it and its incredible impact for many generations. Even if it's been years since you've read this particular translation, many people still do, however, I believe this episode on the fascinating history of the English language's longest-running scripture translation is something every Christian should consider. And so, without further ado, I'd like you to hear more about the King James Bible with Dr. Donald Brake. One week before the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, and on the line with us from Greater Portland, Oregon, Dr. Donald Brake, Vice President and Dean Emeritus of Multnomah Biblical Seminary. Dr. Brake, welcome for the very first time to Haven Today. Thank you, Charles. I am so happy to have you on with us today. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about you. You are an avid collector of rare Bibles and manuscripts. You've been doing that for 30 years. Uh, You've been a pastor, you've been a missionary, and you actually have one of the most complete private collections of rare English Bibles. And uh, you're also author of a brand new book, which we have at Haven Today, called A Visual History of the King James Bible. Let me ask you, as we start, uh, how in the world did you get interested in um, not just studying the Bible, but in collecting Bibles and the history of the English Bible? Well, the Bible has always, of course, uh, since I was saved, has been an important part in my life. And I began to teach at Multnomah, and one of the subjects that I was teaching was the the whole area of English translations and uh, early versions. And so I got interested that way. And one day I received uh, in the mail a catalog from a group in England uh, offering some rare Bibles. One was a 1569 Bishop's Bible and a 1595 Geneva Bible. And so A friend of mine said, these would be really something good for you to have uh, to show your students as you're teaching and so forth. So I ordered those two books, and when I got them, I was so excited uh, to find out that the 1569 Bishop's Bible was actually a great Bible, which was a a more rare book. And so that sort of got me hooked. And uh, from that point... (laughs) Whetted your appetite. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, you are giving us dates of English Bibles that actually predate the King James Version, the authorized version. Just paint the picture here for us. Uh, Next Monday, a week from today, May 2nd, is a special, special 400th anniversary. I know there are celebrations and commemorations going on in Great Britain, in England. Tell us what led up to this authorized version from the King of England. Yes. uh, Well, we had uh, English versions from uh, 1382, which was the Wycliffe Bible, Mm -hmm. but it was a a manuscript and it was translated from the Latin. 
And then during the uh, 16th century and from Henry VIII reign on, there were several English Bibles being translated. Uh, but none of them really satisfied everybody. And in England, there were sort of battles between the Puritans and the Anglicans over which Bible is the best. Uh, sort of rings true of today, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like today, right. <laughs> and so they, uh, they had a conference at Hampton Court, and they were attempting to settle some of the issues between the Puritans and the Anglicans because Queen Elizabeth had sort of suppressed the Puritans. And as soon as James became the King of England in 1603, they thought, well, here's an opportunity for us to settle some of our grievances. So they met him Hmm. as he came down uh, from Scotland to take the throne, and they presented him with a petition which uh, complained about some of the abuses. So he uh, began to talk about some of these complaints that they had. And one fellow stood up and said, his name was John Reynolds, and he stood up and said, we need to have a new translation. And another man popped up and said, no, if we had everybody translate their own Bible, we'd have too many. And so James all of a sudden thought this is a great idea. And so he stood up and said, you know, I think it's time for us to have a translation that is acceptable by everyone. And he said, all the ones that I have seen in the past are terrible, especially the Geneva Bible. So (laughs) that sort of got it rolling. I could just hear the argument. We need a version of the Bible in modern English that everyone can understand. Exactly. Um, Okay, so you're right. It hasn't changed much today. So what happened then? Well, then they chose 54 scholars from all over England, the very finest in linguistics, in Greek and Hebrew, and they divided them into six companies, uh, two from Oxford, two from Cambridge, and two from Westminster. And then the uh, translators had a set of 15 rules, and so they began to translate a new translation, uh, beginning with the Bishop's Bible, which was the one acceptable by the Anglicans, and so that was the base that they were to use. And they were really trying to make a good translation better. It was not designed to be a brand new translation. And so all the individuals began to translate, and then they would circulate their findings among all the other groups, and then each group would look at it, review it, make comments, and send it back until, and that lasted from 1604 until 1608, when they really completed that phase of the translation of the King James. So it really was a a collaborative effort from scholars of the day. You're from Dallas Seminary yourself. That's where your Ph.D. is from. Uh, One of your old compatriots at one time, I think his name was Firestone, was putting out the theory that Shakespeare himself actually may have helped stylize the King James Bible, maybe maybe the Psalms. Uh, anything to that rumor? Yes, uh, I've heard uh, that a lot. And in fact, people have wondered, since the King James is in such a beautiful form of English, and it has such wonderful cadence, and, and sound of it is so wonderful, that it must have had the, the great Shakespeare involved. And so someone has said that there's proof of him from Psalm 46. If you count 46 letters down from the top, of Psalm 46, you come to the word shake. If you count up 46 letters from the bottom, you come to spear. And of course... But in the Hebrew, (laughs) those words aren't there, right? Exactly. (laughs) That's where it starts to fall apart. But uh, so he had the Shakespeare and then he was 46 years old. So the theory is, well, he must have uh, been a translator of the Bible. But we're pretty certain that he had nothing to do with it. It's never mentioned anywhere in any of the texts mm. that we have. And so more than likely, he did not 
translate any of the Bible. It's, His family was Catholic. Uh, he was not a religious man himself, although he quoted from the Bible a lot. Uh, so he probably did not have anything to do with the translation. Mm, all right. Well, well, so much with the rumor mill on Shakespeare <laughs> having a part of the King James Bible. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Dr. Donald Brake with us here in A Haven today. And we're a week away from the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible. Dr. Brake uh, has written a book called A Visual History of the King James Bible, which I have found very, very informative. Don, let me just lay it out here on the table, and you're the expert. People have walked up to you, no doubt, and said, why can't people just leave it alone and just stick with the King James Bible? And I'm sure in your teaching and ministry, you've had other people walk up to you and say, why can't people just understand we need to reach the common man with a version of the Bible that they can understand in today's English? Well, what I hear you saying is that's what the King James Bible, the authorized version, was intended to do. But uh, why has it created such a flashpoint, do you think? Well, I think there are several things. Uh, first of all, it it is a beautifully written book. It's one of the finest pieces of English literature that we ever produced in the English language. And so that language uh, just began to develop. And as the years went on, that language itself became identified with the Word of God. In other words, anybody mm -hmm. who wants to quote what God says will often use the King James Version because we see that language as being almost holy language. You have the these and the thous. And it's interesting mm -hmm. because actually uh, when the King James Version was written, already there was a beginning to be a change from the these and the thous to the use and, and the, in the second person as well. So even that language which was written in 1611 was already beginning to go out of vogue, if you will. So that made the language itself very expressive. And then as the time went on, people really began to see that the words of the King James Version actually spoke from the heart. When you read the King James, especially from the Psalms and Proverbs and pieces of literature like that, there's something about the language itself that sort of lifts you up. Uh, but if you mm -hmm. want actually what did the Hebrew say in modern English, then uh, you have a tendency to want to go to some of the modern translations because it is a language which we speak. We don't speak King James English anymore. Uh, we speak uh, mm. modern English. Don, let me just throw another question which comes out in, in your book, which I have thoroughly enjoyed reading. Which King James Bible are we talking about? And I'm setting you up for that because I will get the occasional email at Haven Today saying, why don't you just use the King James Bible? Uh, well, which King James? Explain that to us. Yeah, exactly. Well, the 1611 King James Version was, uh, they began to revise it almost immediately. There are some changes in 1613. They revised it again in 1616. And then it was revised in 1629, in 1638, and then in 1762, and finally in 1769. And it's called the Blaney edition. And that's actually the King James Version that we use today. 
So it has mm-hmm. gone from 1611 to 1769, uh, uh, those changes, and there are quite a few of them, some minor, some more compound. But basically, the one that we actually read today that you buy in the store is the edition from 1769. You know, the King James Bible, the authorized version, as it's called, it does still have relevance today. And I'm not making the case at this point for one translation over another, but I know every year I try to read the Psalms through in the King James Bible. It is beautiful, poetic language that still has a place today, don't you think, in English? Well, I certainly do. And I love the King James Version just to read it. And one person once said that if you don't read it all the time, you should read it some of the time. And I think, it again, it's it's wording and it's a cadence that speaks from our heart to God. And so when you read the King James, you're not really reading it to find out what is the meaning of that word, what's the exegesis of the passage. You're thinking in terms of worship, how does my heart relate to God? And I think the King James does that better than any other version, even today, in my opinion. One more time, if you don't mind, just give us a little recap of the history of the KJV. Yes, I call the King James Version the the greatest accident of uh, English literature. It really began by a major accident, and that was a group did not sit down and say, okay, let's make a new translation, but rather there was a complaint from the Puritans toward the Anglicans that uh, the church practices that the Anglicans were doing were not biblical. And so there was a dispute between them because Elizabeth had let sort of let it get out of hand. And when James was crowned in 1603, uh, he came to the, a conference at Hampton Court in 1604, and he wanted to help settle some of these disputes and talk about some reforms. And so in the midst of that, on the second day, one of the fellows, John Reynolds, stood up and said, I think we need to have a new translation, which we can all agree on. And uh, some of the others kind of voiced some complaints about that. And then James stood up and said, that's a great idea. I believe we should have a new translation. And so that's really the birth of the translation of the King James. And those are the days when the King of England or the Queen of England would say something, and it really counted. Yes, indeed. The other part of that story, which is interesting, uh, which I call uh, a major accident, too, is the fact that here you have a committee of scholars, of 54 scholars, that get together to make a new translation. You can imagine the fights back and forth over which translation is best, and yet out of a group of men, usually you get a lot of compromising so that uh, nobody really is satisfied. But from all of those scholars, you get one of the finest pieces of English literature that was ever produced in the English language. And so I, I say that's another one of those accidents of history. Do you think they had a sense that they were undertaking a very serious project, a a faith-filled project, besides just something warranting scholarship? Yes, I think they did, although it must be noted that many of those men did not even use their own translation for 15 to 20 years after uh, the King James had been produced. Uh, Some of those men who translated were still using the Geneva Bible. Why is that, Don? Well, I think they didn't realize how it was going to be so significant in history. And the Geneva Bible was a good translation. And, of course, Puritans 
uh, liked the Calvinistic notes that were attached to the Geneva Bible because James wouldn't let any of the notes be attached to the King James Version. He wanted the text itself translated for the study Bible. Yes, so that, uh, you know, those who were not Calvinists could enjoy the, the book as much. And, and, of course, that was the case with the Anglicans. They were not as Calvinistic. So they wanted something without those notes to hinder readers. <laughs> I guess there were great debates in the church over Bible translations then as well as today. You can imagine they're almost the same debates even. <laughs> they're thinking about needing a modern translation and then others just wanting to stick with what they thought was a superior translation. So what I'm hearing you say is that some of the translators of the King James Bible really didn't think a new translation was needed. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, they would at least prefer the other one, and, and probably part of that may be that most of the translators were actually Anglicans. There were fewer Puritans, and none of the extremist Puritans uh, were on the Committee for Translation. And my guess is that it's mostly those who were using the Geneva Bible after the King James came out. But the Geneva was really kind of forbidden to be used after 1615, so they were not printed in England. They were only printed in, uh, on the continent after 1615, so they had to import them if they were to read the Geneva Bible. Don, as you explained to us yesterday, the King James Bible was released 400 years ago next Monday. That was in the 1600s. But the final King James Version, which is still in use today, didn't come until the 1700s. Correct. 1769 was the final, really sort of the final um, edition that was used by everybody after that. It's the one that's used today, other than, of course, the New King James and some of those revisions of it. Don, let's talk about something I know people are interested in. There has been a great debate over which translation into English is superior. Well, I'll just let you speak to this. Should we use a modern translation should we use only the King James Bible today in the 21st century? What are your thoughts as a biblical scholar and a student of the Bible? Well, there's really uh, a couple of issues involved there. One is uh, the, the basic difference between modern translations and the King James translation goes beyond just the language itself. It is also the, the Greek text that underlies the New Testament of the King James Version and the Greek text that underlies the text of modern versions. Those are two different texts. Uh, the one that uh, was used by the King James translators is called the Byzantine text or the Textus Receptus. Uh, that began with Erasmus, who had five Greek manuscripts, and from those he produced what we know as the Textus Receptus, although it didn't become known that until uh, the 17th century. But he used five manuscripts. Once uh, in the 1880s, there were a number of manuscripts that came to light that were older than the Byzantine text uh, that was under the King James Version. And so the modern versions began to use some of those texts because they were older than the Byzantine text. And so modern versions today are based on the Nestle Alan text, which is the critical edition of the Greek New Testament. That's the difference between the Greek text. And so all modern translations, or at least most of them, fall under this, uh, the, the critical text, which uh, the New American Standard, the NIV, and all of those are part of that text. Now, what the people who, who like the King James Version and the text behind it say is that 
the modern text is an eclectic one. In other words, it's all these Greek manuscripts, and from those you just choose here what, go, what is the best and what's the best there. So it becomes sort of an eclectic text. And so that's what they don't like about it. So that's really the major controversy between whether or not you do a modern text or you use the King James Version. Now, in order to sort of satisfy the language part, uh, Nelson produced in 1982 the New King James Version, which was using the same Greek text, but they used modern English language. They changed some of the terms that were archaic and placed in new ones. That was an attempt to compensate for the language changes uh, over the years. They were basing at least the New Testament on another translation, which had been picking and choosing from five Greek manuscripts. And uh, hopefully there would have been a lot of prayer going into choosing which words we go with at certain points. Yes, uh, and, and of course the, uh, the King James translators uh, used the text that had been already refined uh, several, through several different editions. Erasmus was the first, then it was Stephanus, then it was Biza. And so those texts were, were being revised and, and sort of sorted out as well and trying to use other texts. So, yeah, they're all uh, basically eclectic in that they're trying to decide, now, which scribe did the best job in this particular Greek manuscript and which one maybe uh, had a mistake and so forth. So it's a matter of textual criticism, uh, regardless of which uh, uh, text you follow. So what we have going on here is that this is before the printing press, and that's what really let the King James Bible take off. Scribes were copying manuscripts for centuries before that, and occasionally a word would change either by design or because they were maybe just falling asleep on the job. There were little changes, but the Bible is still faithfully God's Word. That's what I'm always a, a bit fearful when I talk about textual criticism. Uh, some get the idea, oh, well, we can't really know, or, uh, you know, how do we know that this is the Word of God? One of the reasons that I began collecting Bibles is I wanted to trace all of the history of the Bible from the beginning till now so that I, I could show to others that what we have today is really God's Word. And we can say with confidence that the translation that we have is God's Word. Now, we mean that uh, the actual inspiration of Scriptures came through the original manuscripts that were given to the apostles and the prophets and so forth. Inasmuch as our translations reflect the same as them, they are God's Word. And so I can hold up my King James Version and say, this is God's Word. I can hold up my New American Standard Version and say, this is God's Word. I think we need to realize that all these intricacies of textual criticism we talk about are such small issues compared to the message. Every one of them, you can read and learn uh, how to be saved, and you can learn uh, how to grow in the Lord and what your duties are as a, as a believer in Christ. So I, I would hate for people to walk away and say, you know, we just can't know because there are so many translations. I don't know which one is the best one. Therefore, I don't think I'll use any of them. And I think that's a big mistake. Don, one of your old Hebrew professors at Dallas Seminary, who's a Bible translator himself, has said that all Bible translations, except perhaps the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, where the manuscript was obviously changed, they all contain God's Word and are all used by God's Spirit to bring people to faith. Would you agree with that? Oh, I absolutely would. 
let me tell you a story about my father. Uh, my father just had an eighth grade education. And while I was in seminary, of course, I was learning that the modern translations, especially things like the cotton patch version, you know, I was sort of making fun of those because I wanted the, the scriptures. That was the most literal, you know, I really I was after that. So I went back to visit my father who was living in Illinois. And my uh, father always went to Sunday school and church carrying his King James uh, pocket-sized testament in his uh, side pocket on his suit coat. And he would take it to church, and when he got home, he would take it out of his pocket and put it on the dresser, and there it stayed until the next Sunday. Well, I came up uh, after I had been two years in seminary, and uh, he said, you know, Don, I want to ask you a question. He says, someone gave me a modern, uh, good news for modern man version of the Bible, and I was looking at it, and he said, I could actually read that. And he said, you know, for the first time, I realized that the Bible is to be read by the common person and not just the pastor telling us what it means. And I thought, wow, because I always thought that good news for modern man was such a, a limited vocabulary, was no good, it wasn't literal, and so forth. Then I began to realize that, you know, these translations have a purpose. And if they got my father into God's word, then I would certainly support that. And so I think I, that was a great lesson I learned that day. Don, I'm thinking of so many people over 400 years, having little pocket New Testaments, pocket versions of the King James Bible. I'm thinking of Helen Cadbury of the Cadbury Chocolate Fortune. She gave her life to the Lord, but she also gave her fortune as well. Every British soldier, I think it was in World War I, was given a pocket New Testament, and they would keep it in their front pocket right over their heart. There are a lot of stories around of someone being shot and the bullet was stopped and a life was saved and the bullet landed right at John 3.16. You know, they actually uh, printed a number of uh, Bibles during uh, World War One and Two that had a piece of metal as part of the cover. so that uh, And it was designed so that if, it, if someone got shot uh, with it in their pocket, that it would actually protect them. So that's a, that's a it's a good collector's item. Kind of like a bulletproof vest. Exactly. Over the heart. Wow. Over the heart. If you just joined us, yes, this is Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. On with me from Portland, Oregon, is Dr. Donald Brake. And this is a program on the King James Bible, which turns 400 years old next Monday. I know I'm opening another can of worms here, but any thoughts on modern translations we have today? New American Standard being updated by the Lockman Foundation. We've got a new NIV translation coming out this year. There's, of course, the ESV translation and then the ESV Study Bible. Any thoughts? You listed uh, some, of the, uh, some of the finest ones uh, that we have, and every one of those that you mentioned I believe are outstanding, and I could uh, use those for, and, and in some cases for different reasons, but uh, they all are really good translations of the Bible. All of them I would recommend very highly. I like uh, uh, Kenneth Taylor's Living Letters and how it's become li the Living Bible and all the different versions of it. I think that's a wonderful translation. Of course, the, uh, there's a new one out called The Voice, uh, which I, I think is put out by the Southern Baptist, which I think is an excellent New Testament. I haven't seen the Old Testament yet. But, you know, if you're studying the Bible for the deepest meaning, you probably want the most literal 
as we call it, uh, Bible that they that is has been uh, translated. If you want it for fl- uh, fluid reading and comprehension, uh, some of the Translations like the NIV, I think, is is wonderful. It's becoming very popular uh, in churches today. I just think that uh, the main thing is that people read God's Word. Don't depend on going to church and and hearing uh, the messages. Those are wonderful, and you should. But uh, get into the Bible for yourself. And any of those translations that he mentioned are just really wonderful translations. Dr. Donald Brake. Thank you so much for joining me here on Haven today. Well, thank you, Charles, for having me. It's been a privilege. Don, would you mind closing this Haven today in prayer? Certainly. Our Heavenly Father, as we meet together and as we think about the 400th anniversary of this wonderful edition of God's Word, uh, the King James Version, we thank you for providing it for us because it has given our country Uh, the basis for its legal system. It's given us all these wonderful stories of men and women who have come to know you because they have read this uh, version of the the Bible. Uh, Thank you, Father, for uh, using it and to getting it into our hearts and to make our lives and our paths straight because we know that you have revealed yourself in your word. Thank you for the preservation of the scriptures that we today can know you just like they did when you first gave it to the to the apostles and the prophets and all those people in the past so thank you father for what you have done for us and for your word and may it continue to grow and may may it continue to bless the hearts of those who are seeking you and will give you the praise in the name of our precious savior the lord jesus amen amen Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I also want to thank Dr. Donald Brake for joining me to discuss the fascinating history of the King James translation. Now, if you want to hear more content like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts? And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover great additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.